0: Well, let's turn now to the word of God, to Acts chapter two. And we're continuing our series talking about what unifies us as a church. It's a series we're calling Together, Biblical Unity in a Divided World. And last time we were in 1 Corinthians 1 and we considered together how we have a shared identity in Christ. In fact, we said we are unified because we have a shared love for Jesus. And didn't we just demonstrate that together together? at the Lord's table together. We took the bread that represented the body of Christ. And together we took the cup that represented the blood of Jesus. And together we expressed our faith in him all over again by taking that in notice this ordinance of the church. It's given to the church. It's not an individual thing. There's never been a time in my Christian walk where I by myself got out the bread and the juice and did that. It's not how it was given. It was given to the church And it is a way of us declaring together that together we love him, together we have trusted in him. And so we do, we have a shared love for Jesus as a church, but we're going to add to that today that this truth, that we have a shared confidence in the scriptures. And we're going to see that very clearly here in Acts 2, where we look at the early church and what unified them. Now let's talk about the thrilling beginning of the early church. Remember, Jesus died. We just celebrated that, was raised from the dead. After his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples. He taught them for a time. And then he ascended to heaven. And then as promised, the Holy Spirit came during the Feast of Pentecost. As the people were gathered together, the Holy Spirit came quite dramatically on those disciples. And they began to proclaim the gospel to people who had gathered to see what was happening. They preached, and particularly Peter preached to thousands. And and this is amazing. 3,000 people responded to the gospel And we're saved and were immediately baptized. So think about this with me. This is a thrilling beginning to the church. At the time of the resurrection, there are about 120 disciples. And now on this one day at Pentecost, they grew by 3,000. They went from 120 to 3,120. Let's just pause there. Hey, let's ask God to do that here. I don't know what we do with that many people, but just would you, let's, let's pray it for the sake of our neighbor's. There are more than 3,000 people living around us that need Jesus to be transformed by him to have the everlasting life. Let's pray for great fruit for the sake of our lost neighbors. But the question I want to ask now is, what did these 3,120 believers, most of them brand new in the faith, what did they do next? After believing in Jesus and getting baptized, we know this, they didn't all just go home and act like nothing happened. Neither did they gather together and then just argue about Small, secondary things. No, they were united in some things. And here it is preserved for us in the scripture what it was that united them. And we're going to find it's the same things that unite us here all these years later. Acts 2, verse 42 verse, through uh, verse 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They committed themselves to each other as an expression of their devotion to Christ. And then we're told one of the first things they devoted themselves to was the word of God. Notice it with me, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So let's just hold on that word devoted a second. That word in the original language carries the idea of continuing to do something with intense effort to keep on doing something, to persist in it, even when it gets difficult, yes, to devote yourself. And so one of the marks of a healthy church is that they are devoted to, to the word of God. Now, many people are devoted to a lot of things. I've always found it interesting that the diehard NASCAR fans, there are some in that group that before the pandemic would actually travel from track to track across the country, following their driver, camping out, I mean, not just once a year, but there were some who would go to as many tracks as possible. I always marveled at that. I can't imagine the financial commitment, the financial devotion of following a driver like that. I can't imagine having the time where every weekend you could just up and follow your favorite driver. Now, in in fairness, I am also a NASCAR fan. I'm a William Byron fan Plan to watch the race this afternoon, but man, I don't have any devotion like that. Not to follow a driver around track to track, spend thousands of dollars in every weekend. I can't imagine it, but some people are devoted to other things. Some are devoted fanatically to politicians crazy things in the name of a politician. Or some people, it's a band. They'll do the same thing. They'll laugh at the NASCAR people, but they'll follow a band from arena to arena when there's not a pandemic because they're just so devoted. Sometimes it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. But listen, as a a church, what's our devotion? What are we devoted to? We've been saying it. We are devoted to Jesus. Try that word on. Does that fit how you relate to Jesus? Are you devoted to him? And are you devoted to the things he has taught. Here we're told that they were devoting themselves to the apostles teaching. Who were these apostles? These are the disciples sent with his message, men like Matthew and Peter and James and John and Thomas and Philip and Andrew and others. And so as promised, the Holy Spirit came upon them and reminded them of all the things that Jesus had taught them during the three years they were together. And so now they're proclaiming that to others. And these 3000 new believers, they're devoted to that teaching. We want to know what Jesus taught. We're brand new into this. Tell us what he said. Tell us about the kingdom of God. Tell us about his coming again. They were devoted to getting that information. They were eager for it. So let's now apply this to ourselves. Let's think through what does it look like in a church when we're devoted to the apostles' teaching? Or as we say around here, we have a shared confidence in the scripture. What's that look like? Well, first of all, we would say it this way. We delight in the scriptures. We delight in the scriptures. We see the singular worth of the Bible. Psalm 1 speaks this way. Psalm 1 says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Catch this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. So we delight in the Bible because it is indeed God's law. And because it's God's, it's completely true. And it's completely authoritative. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But did you hear the confidence? All scripture is breathed out by God. That should indeed delight us. That our God has spoken to us In the scriptures. Now, I'm glad for general revelation, aren't you? That's our way of saying that God does speak in some ways through creation. And we can pick up some things from creation. First of all, we have a powerful God who made this in the universe. Our God made it. He's he's powerful. We would would admire his wisdom, his intelligence, his creativity. We would even look at general revelation, his creation, and we say, isn't he kind? Isn't he kind to give us the air we need and the water to drink? All this is from a kind God who's revealed himself to some degree in general revelation. But aren't you glad with me that he gave us special revelation? That he spoke through the prophets, that he spoke through the apostles, and that we have God's word. So this process of inspiration, God used 40 different men. Over 1,500 years, he so superintended what they wrote so that what we have is the very inerrant, infallible word of God. One writer said it this way, speaking of these 40 men writing over all these years, he said the authors were kings, fishermen, priests, government officials, farmers, shepherds, and doctors. From all this diversity comes an incredible unity with common themes woven throughout He continues, the Bible's unity is due to the fact that ultimately it has one author, God himself. The Bible is God breathed. The human authors wrote exactly what God wanted them to write and the result was the perfect and holy word of God. How about let me read you the excerpt from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 that speaks on the scriptures. We certainly endorse this. The holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct Creeds and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is Himself the focus of divine revelation. We read these words about the Scriptures, and we say, "Amen to that." In fact, we're delighted that God has given us this Scripture so wonderful. In fact, God's people have always been thrilled with His Word. Here's an example in Psalm 19, verses seven and following. Listen to this: "The law of the Lord." Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Do you hear the level of delight in God's word? It's not just there, but how about Psalm 119, verses 97 and following? He says, oh, how I love your law. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Do you delight in God's word? Do you understand what a treasure God has given you and me? His infallible, life changing word. I was thinking about it this morning. I thought, if I got locked up for Jesus, by the way, a thought that doesn't seem as strange as it might have when I was younger, but if I got locked up for Jesus, standing for Jesus, and they said, Look, we're going to put you in isolation. And you've got a choice. We can give you in your cell cable TV with the sports package or we'll give you your Bible. What do you want? Man, I wouldn't blink. I'd take the Bible. Now, the sports? I'd miss the entertainment, of course. But give me the Bible, because there I find life and guidance and hope. It's a treasure. Delighted in it. And so as a church, we say that together that we have a shared confidence in the Bible. Together, we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We delight in it, but not only that, we dwell in it together. We delight, but we also dwell in the scriptures. We, we actively and eagerly read it and hear it together. The early church here, we're told, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And so you and I, if we're gonna be the same, it's gonna require a major life commitment to consume an increasing diet of God's word in our lives. This is how the Bible describes it. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Or back in Psalm one, notice it speaks of this blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord, but catch this. And he meditates on it day and night or Psalm 119 again. Oh, wow. I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We dwell in the scriptures. So we express our devotion to God's word by reading it By hearing it together, studying it, memorizing it, all that we might apply it. Years ago now, when our family lived in Central Asia, all of our our neighbors were Muslims and we loved them. We went there to bring the message of hope to them. But we noticed in all the taxis and if our neighbors had cars, they'd have a little triangle cloth hanging from the rearview mirror. And so we'd ask, hey, what is that? And they would explain that this keeps us safe. It wards off evil. It it protects us from accidents. And I said, well, what's inside there? And they would explain it'd be some script from the Quran that they had folded up in there and hanging there as a good luck charm for them. Interestingly, nobody we knew could read the Quran. It's in Arabic and the people we were with, they didn't speak Arabic. So they had no idea what was in the little pouch, but it was supposed to ward off trouble. Listen, you and I don't approach the Bible that way. We don't think it's just lucky to have one and just the presence of a Bible is going to ward off evil. Listen, it's of little benefit to you if your belief in the Bible is just a slogan, but you don't ever pick it up and read it. So no benefit to you that you own, like me, dozens of copies of the Bible unless we pick it up and read it. It's of no benefit to you if it's just a book that sits on your coffee table or it's framed art on a wall or maybe it rides around in the console of your car a little bit of it to us unless we're actually reading it listen we're devoted to the scriptures we're we're devoted as a church family that's why these sermons come from the text of scripture that's why in your life group when you gather with other believers and encourage one another notice it's a bible centered fellowship you're feeding on the bible together because we're devoted to the apostles' teaching here. So let me urge you again, as a church, let's keep, our, let's keep our minds on the scripture. Let's make sure it's the authority for us as a church. But just for a moment, let me speak to you as individuals. You know, this is where our church stands, but for that to mean anything, it has to be where all of us do. And, and so let me ask you, how's your time with God going in his word? Let me urge you each day to spend time in the presence of God with his word. Never been easier to do it. There's a Bible app, it's free you can have it right on your phone everywhere you go, or, or you can have paper copy and different font sizes and all that is great. Maybe you say, though, I wish I could have lived in the time with these new believers when the, when the apostles were living among them. Wouldn't that have been great? That would have been cool. But I think we're more blessed than those on that day. Because the scriptures were just being written. I mean, the old covenant, much, most of the scriptures still to be written, all of it really still to be written, the new covenant after those days. And so yes, cool to hear Peter preach and all that, but we have the apostles teaching now completely preserved for us in the scriptures. And so we're more, more blessed because anytime we can open it up and see what God has to say to us. So, so how is your time going in the word of God? Here's what I want to encourage you as your pastor, if you permit me even to nag you on this again, schedule time to meet with God in the word. Schedule it, guard it, use that alarm on your smartphone. That's a great feature. And just set an alarm, meet with God at the time that you can meet with God. And when it goes off, go meet with God. Have a plan in advance. What am I going to do when I meet with God? I'm going to take the Bible and I'm going to work systematically through different books of the Bible. So maybe you start this afternoon and how about the book of Ephesians? You can read a chapter or two a day and you'll be soon out of the book of Ephesians. Mark it up and apply it to your life. And then what am I going to read next? Ask the Lord. Maybe you're going to read Philippians next or maybe the gospel of John or maybe the Psalms or maybe Proverbs, but be in the word of God. Let it dwell in you and think deeply about it and apply it. But please don't put this off. Somebody might be thinking today, well, I would if I were a mature Christian. I'm gonna wait till I'm a mature Christian to add daily time in the Bible to my life. Listen, can I tell you that's thinking backwards? You will never become a mature Christian if you don't daily meet with God in the word. You'll you'll never be there. So let me say it this way. In the mornings, when I meet with God in prayer and in the word, I'm never thinking, I'm such a strong Christian, I'm gonna go meet with God. No, no, it's the exact opposite. I'm such a weak human being. I can't imagine going a day without meeting with God. I need him. I need his guidance. I need his comfort. I need his word. And so we come as weak people into the word of God and he will grow us stronger, but we'll always have that that sense of dependence upon him. So, So meet with him. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Delight in it and dwell in it. Don't miss out on this. Rearrange your whole life that you might prioritize God's word in your life. We see it here modeled for us in Acts chapter two. So we delight in the scriptures together. We dwell in the scriptures together. And as a church also, we commit to do the scriptures together. James 1, 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So as a church, we have confidence together in the scriptures. We believe it so much so that we read it a lot with the goal that we would live it that we would obey what God has said. We'll build our entire lives and all of our opinions and thoughts and beliefs. We're gonna build it upon the scriptures. Wouldn't it be a strange approach to the Bible to say, I'm devoted to it, I just don't wanna live it. That's no devotion at all. What if somebody said today, oh, I love the beauty of the scriptures. I just reject the authority of scriptures. That, that concept would be foreign to everything you've ever read in the Bible. No, None of God's people in history have ever treated the Bible that way. Or what if somebody said this, I believe it's God's word, but it—but he doesn't really expect me to follow those things. Strange. You certainly couldn't use the word devoted to the apostles teaching with that idea. Or if a person said, look, Alex, I believe it's the Bible, but hasn't, hasn't culture changed? It's so different now that those things can't be relevant to us. Now that's wrong thinking. This is timeless truth that God loved you so much to preserve for you. The Bible is completely relevant. If you don't think it's relevant, you haven't been reading it in a long time. Speaks to all the issues we're facing in our day. Completely relevant and completely authoritative over the believers of our time. Isaiah 40, verse eight. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever Remember, Jesus warned us, don't just hear my words. Remember, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he gave that warning to cap it all off. Don't be a person who just hears me and doesn't put it into action. He said, you need to be a person who hears my words and acts on them. Then you'll be like a person who built his house upon the rock. If you only hear, but then you turn away and don't act on his words, Jesus said, you're building your life on the sand. And when those storms come to your life, you'll have a great fall if you're not on the rock. So a disciple of Jesus who's devoted to the scriptures like we're seeing here in Acts 2 builds his whole life on the rock of scripture, nothing left out. So when you think about what is, what is your view of every issue that you're facing, your view should be, well, my view is the Bible's view. You don't, you don't have to get creative. You don't have to go search. Well, what is going to be my view? If you're a disciple of Jesus you have this word, the example for you in Acts chapter 2. Well, I'm devoted to the scriptures. So let's just think about the issues we face today. When does life begin? What's my view on that? I'm a disciple of Jesus. My view is the biblical view on life. God has spoken to that quite clearly. We hear a lot about gender in our culture. And so, what's my view on all this? Well, my, I'm a disciple of Jesus. My view is already given to me here. In the scriptures, God has spoken to gender issues. What about sex? What's my view there? What about marriage? What's marriage? How should the races interact with each other in love and respect? The Bible talks to me about that. What about salvation? How can a person be right with God? Very clearly, the Bible tells us that it's through Jesus. So so God has spoken and we are then to respond with following him in obedience. But let's just acknowledge right here, maybe that's never been more challenging in our culture than today. We know that whenever we take up the Bible, we have two sources a pressure in the opposite direction from what we read. First of all, it's internal. You and I still possess a sin nature, don't we? And we take up a Bible from a holy God and he confronts things in us that sometimes we don't want confronted in our flesh. So God, when you read the word, will call out your fears and you might be tempted to argue with God. Well, I have a right to be afraid. Or God calls out your greed and you think, but I like stuff. Or he calls out your anger, but I have a right to be angry and bitter. Or he calls out your lust or your selfishness or bitterness or laziness. And you just think, I, I, don't, I don't want to. My flesh doesn't want to obey. So you have that battle. And I hope you have learned, no, I'm not in charge here. Jesus is Lord. This is his word. I'm going to die to self and follow him in the power of the spirit. But I wish I could tell you, you only have that internal pressure to disobey the word. You and I know that in our culture, we have strong external pressure not to obey the word. Do you feel it? So we're told by a culture, you must not believe that and you must not follow what that book is telling you. In fact, so brazen they'll tell you, and you must instead obey us or else that's the pressure we feel. And yet here is God's word. We joyfully devote ourselves to it. Even when it's not easy, even when it's not applauded, this is God's word. We joyfully devote ourselves to it, expecting that God's ways are going to be different than the world around us. Always been different. God's ways are better. They're higher. And so we must obey him rather than men. It's very That's what it means to be devoted to these things. It's always been this way. Acts chapter four, just a few pages over from where we are right now. We find an occasion when the disciples were told no longer to preach in the name of Jesus. What did they do when the authorities told them, you can't do that anymore? Notice it, Acts 4, 18, verse 19, I think it is, where it says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. It's just a reminder, we can't give the culture what they're demanding of us. They said, don't do this. We have to follow Jesus. We love you. We'll speak this truth in love all day long, always in love, but we are in the word of God here weren't we commanded in Romans 12 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And yet we feel that pressure to conform. But then I love this one, and this one helps me so much because of the role I have as a pastor and preacher of the word. Mark eight thirty eight. I read this several days a week as a way of stealing myself for the role that I have in, the, in a culture like ours. Notice what Jesus said. Mark eight thirty eight. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so here's this awareness that I have to choose. Am I going to be ashamed of the word of God or will I preach the word of God? Will I please a culture that Jesus calls a sinful and adulterous culture or will I please Him. And so let me ask you, are you ashamed of the words of God? Have you succumbed to the pressure of the age? And you said, I'm no longer going to believe and act on what the scripture says. I'm going to go with the culture. They seem confident. (laughs) You have a choice before you. James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Internal pressure to disobey the scriptures, external pressure to disobey the scriptures, but we're devoted to scriptures. Let me give you one more caution. There are plenty of people in our day that they'll call themselves Christian leaders, but they're caving on the scriptures. One guy recently, a prominent author and Bible teacher took heat from the culture for something he preached back in 2014, I think it was. He preached a fine message from the excerpts I saw on biblical sexuality, our, our view on biblical morality. But somebody was quite critical and the culture started piling on him for something. I think he preached faithfully in 2014 and he, he said he basically renounced it. And he said, I can do better. I can do better now. He couldn't do better than being faithful to the scripture. And so we need to be careful not to follow those even who call themselves Christian, even in the broader Christian community, who are one by one beginning to cave, to give up on the scriptures, not devoted to it anymore. We're gonna go along so that we can get along with the culture. Again, speaking the truth in love, but we can't make that move. There are voices within Christianity in America who are saying really everything's up for interpretation. Now we've talked about, there are some things that are up for interpretation, some secondary matters. But when we come to sexuality and what God has said about this, couldn't be more clear. If you think it's all up for interpretation, have you not read Genesis chapter one? Have you not read Romans chapter one? Have you not read 1 Corinthians chapter six? God could not be more clear on these matters. It's not open to interpretation. That's just a, that's just an excuse. It's dishonest. It's a way of trying to be disobedient to God with some fancy theological footwork. Couldn't be more clear. It's got to be infuriating to God. Would be infuriating to me. What if you told your teenager, hey, I'm running late coming home from work. Could you set the oven to 350, take the casserole out of the refrigerator and put it on a rack in the oven? Now, room for interpretation there. If your teenager said, hey, I didn't know if you meant the top rack or bottom rack in the oven, you didn't specify. You said, okay, I'm just, either one is fine. But we see the room for interpretation there. But if your teenager said, hey, I didn't do it because I didn't know what you meant by putting it in the oven. Because there are racks in the refrigerator. So what I did do is I took it from the rack, one rack on the, in the refrigerator and put it on a second rack. You know that pantry has racks in it. And so I just went to the pantry. I didn't, I didn't know what you meant. I spoke, I spoke clearly to you. There's no room for, for interpretation. There's, there's no wiggle room there. So listen, we must be devoted to Scripture and not handle the Scriptures in an unfaithful way like many are doing in our day. So we read it. We submit to it. We obey it no matter the cost. And as a church family, I'm grateful to be a part of people who wouldn't have it any other way, that we are united together in our shared confidence in the scriptures. Well, we started this message with an illustration, really, through the Lord's Supper, that we demonstrated together with the bread and the cup that we have a shared love for Jesus. Well, we're gonna close here in just a minute after I pray with our band coming up and leading us in worship like they do. But I think this is a perfect picture of unity as well. Think about our band. And uh, they make it look so easy, don't they? But they rehearse to do this. They take all their different talents and skills from a lifetime of developing them. And then they come and they rehearse to, to catch it, literally to get on the same page. They're, they're singing the same song and they have to get it on the same rhythm and the same pitches and all that stuff. They make it look so easy. All to have us join in with them that we can sing with one voice to one person, Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of unity. And I I hope you'll take note of that as we sing praise to God in a moment. That's what we wanna be. And so here as a church, we need to be on the same page, the pages of scripture, to sing this same song to the glory of one, to Jesus. And, And by the way, and lastly, this whole book, this infallible Bible, all points to Jesus. You say, what's the point of the Bible? Jesus. The Old Testament points to him, New Testament points to him. It's all about Jesus, that you might turn from your sin and put all of your faith in Jesus as your savior. Let me pray for us right now.